Can I first of all say what a joy it is to be here and very grateful that you have received me again when uh, your pastor said to me last year at the men's breakfast, he said, do you remember me? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I meet so many people, I don't. He said, you prophesied over our church. When I hear something like that, I go, oh, what did I say? <laughs> and he says, it's good. I said, Net, tell me. <laughs> and he told me what had happened and the gratefulness to God because he gives the gift. All we are is the conduit that God's spirit flows through. And so many people sort of say, look what I can do. That's really, it's, it's garbage. It really is. It's what God can do through you if you're willing to put up your hand and say, Lord, use me in whatever way you please. And that can get scary sometimes. <laughs> Just before I really get into the word this morning, I was in Sweden one time. And uh, I'd prophesied over a number of people and then all of a sudden a man came up to me and he was dressed a little bit like your former pastor except he had a vest on as well and he got this close and he said, prophesy. <laughs> I hadn't long come out of the fishing industry and I felt like giving him the fivefold ministry. <laughs> and, uh, and God said to me, I got a word for him. And I said, Lord, what is it? And he whispered it in my ear and I said, Lord, that's not a good word. I don't really think I should give that to him. And he said to me, whose servant are you? I said, Lord, I'm your servant. He said, give the word. And the word went like this. You will never, ever experience success again unless you lay everything at the foot of the cross with the emphasis on the everything and I said a few other words besides that. And then he said, is that all? I said, that's all. <laughs> and then somebody after the service said to me, do you want to know about this man? I said, yes, please. I said, he's a pastor. I said, really? God brings a donkey all the way from Tasmania to Sweden to speak to a pastor? Then he said something really interesting. He laid everything down, his pastorate, except all his business interests. He would not lay them down. So God sends somebody else in his love, hear me, in his love, he sends somebody from the other side of the world to give the man a second chance. And people say, what happened? I said, I don't know, but I fulfilled what God told me to do. Just to give you a little bit of an idea of my background, uh, I was an abalone diver for 20 years. I spent 20 years underwater and uh, my best friend was eaten by a shark uh, in 1975. I got saved in 1977 and that had a huge impact on my life. My other good friend that I went shooting with and we did everything together, we fished together, uh, he died of a brain tumour at the age of 33. I wasn't saved when he died. That was in 1977, same year that I got saved. And uh, <clears throat> I was called into the office of the fish factory where I sold my fish. And they said, Gary wants to see you. So I've still got my wetsuit on and I race over to Gary's place. I run up the stairs and I said, you want to see me? He said, yeah, let's go down the stairs in, into my gun, gun room. We went into his gun room and he says, sit down. I said, no, you sit down. And anyway, finally I sat down and then he said, I'm going to die in 48 hours. I'm not saved. 
but I know it all up here. I said, Gary, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Can you imagine that? I'm not saved. But I've heard all this from my mum and dad many, many times. The only one way into heaven is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he said, no, God and me, we've got an agreement. I don't bother him. He doesn't bother me. I said, that's funny when everything's all right. It's not funny now. I said, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. To the best of my knowledge, he didn't do that and he died in 46 hours and we went to the funeral and the, the minister that took the funeral said this, Gary has gone to his eternal reward because he was a good man. Jesus was not mentioned at all. I cried all the way home. Two hours of driving. My wife said, what, what, what's wrong? And I recounted the story. She was saved. I said I was saved. She was saved. I just knew it up here. So you can imagine our relationship, fire and water. <laughs> this morning I want to speak about embracing God's vision. Before I do that, you are the pastor's wife. Your name? Winona. Winona, God loves you with an amazing love. This is what God told me to tell you, and I think, oh God, she already knows that. But this comes from the heart of God this morning. He loves you with an amazing love, and you are to go into your prayer room from time to time, shut the door behind you, don't let anybody know what you are praying about, and you will see God begin to reward you openly for what you are praying in the closet, if, if you like. Some amazing things are going to happen through your prayer life. You watch and see when you start to do this as to what God will do through your prayers. Where is your daughter that was playing the keyboards? Keyboards, not the piano, the keyboards. She'll be back in a couple of minutes. I can wait. All right, let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Just wondering, uh, you know, if you're wondering how I got saved. That year I went to hospital for a very small operation to get a cartilage or a meniscus taken out of my knee and I was absolutely petrified of dying. I had never been scared of dying before but now I'm laying on this hospital bed and I'm drenched in sweat even though it's cold. I hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ say, Bernie Hartog, who's been the boss of your life all of your life, has said me. He said, if you make me the Lord of your life, I will lead you for the rest of your life. And right there and then I started repenting of every sin that the Holy Spirit brought to my memory. And when I went into that operating theatre, I couldn't have cared whether I lived or died. The next morning my wife came to see me and I was talking about going to heaven. She hadn't heard me talk that kind of talk before and she said, if you've changed that much, stick around for a while. (laughs) Ah, this is gospel true. It really is. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And you might be saying, we've got vision in this church. 
Is it progressive? Is it ongoing? That's the word that God gave me. And listen to some of the, how the different translations say it. Where there is no revelation or vision, the people cast off restraint. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. That's from the New Living Translation. Listen to what the Swedish Bible says. For without a progressive vision, people dwell carelessly. It's got to be progressive. It's got to be ongoing. In Genesis 15, 1, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. God spoke to Jacob in the visions of the night. If we look at the husband of Mary, he, the first five, six years of his life are really, you know, vision after vision after vision and he obeys and everything is okay because he's obedient to God. We can receive vision from a prophet that comes in from an open vision that we've got our eyes open but we see something or we read the scriptures and all of a sudden the verse jumps out at us and we go, how come I've never seen this before? So God can speak to us in many different ways, but he's always wanting to speak to us. You know how you have a radio sometimes and it goes, but you turn the dial a little bit and all of a sudden you hear music or you hear somebody speaking. I think that's how it is with us. We just need to dial in, need to tune in to the voice of God and hear what he is saying. God used visions to speak to Zechariah, Eliphaz, Daniel, Joseph, Mary's husband, Ananias, Peter, Paul and John, and so many others, and I hope the scriptures are all on. They are. That's good. Because I don't touch this stuff. If I touch this stuff, everything would get confused. (laughs) Believe me. Vision that is from God always starts in the heart of a redeemed individual. Salvation is a spiritual regeneration that results in true inner transformation. If people say they are born again and you can't see any change, there's something radically wrong. Can I hear an amen? There really is. This transformation is so radical that Jesus calls it being born again. No wonder Nicodemus had real problems. You know, like, how can I go back into my mother's womb? You know, what, what do you mean born again? You're talking about some serious stuff. But when we're born again, we receive a new heart, new desires, new motives, becoming a new person with a new destiny. Something changes to such a degree, everything changes. Before I was born again, the world revolved around me. And when God said, I want you to sell everything that you have, sow it into the church and come follow me, my immediate response was, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) I really enjoyed being a rich fisherman. And I would put some money in the plate from time to time and pat myself on the back saying, you're such a good man. Well, if you're Dutch, you know, it's not so easy to give. A man got baptised in South Africa and somebody said, hey, your wallet is in your shorts, don't you want to take it out? He said, that needs to be baptised as well. That's a Dutch person. And I can say that because I am one. Not just born in Australia, I was born in Holland. I did my schooling in Holland for the first 12 years of my life. It is... Good to share the God-given vision again and again and again. 
especially when people are being added to the church, uniting together to embrace God's vision from the present into the future. It needs to happen on a consistent, regular basis. I'll share a little personally as to what happened in my life at uh, City Light Church, Kingston, Tasmania, which I pastored for 34 years. Everything that is seen on the property there has been an organic growing part and we've seen people saved, we've seen people water baptized, we've seen people filled with the Holy Spirit being transformed. There's probably about $12 million worth of buildings there, all paid for because God gave vision. We've now got a Christian school with over 300 children in it and it's growing at 20% a year, which is a little bit scary for me because trying to keep up with all the infrastructure is very difficult and expensive. We're just starting on another $2.2 million program and my thinking is, how are we going to pay for it all? See, I used to be the accelerator and now I've become the brake. That's how it is. And I said, have you thought of this, 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 and this? And they go, no. Well, you should think of this, especially because while it's all going like that, everything's fine. But if we plateau, that's problematic. If we go downhill, it becomes really, really serious as to how you're going to make your payments. So all the time God is asking us to either become leaders or to train leaders with their own God-given vision to go into different areas. It doesn't matter if people leave your church if they go out with the blessing of the senior man and they, with the blessing of the eldership because they are pioneering something else. It's all good. I, the trouble that I have, if people say to me, uh, by the way, pastor, I'm leaving. You are? Aren't we family? Yeah. Well, family talks about these things and prays about these things before it happens. You don't just, I'm leaving. And this particular couple that said that to me, I said, why don't you do it God's way? And they said, well, what's God's way? I said, have you spoken to your life group leaders? Have you told them? Have you prayed with them? And they said, no. Well, I said, why don't you do it? And they said, okay, we will. So the life group leader rings me up a few weeks later and he says, I think they're supposed to leave. I said, that's fine. I said, if that witness is in your heart that they're supposed to leave, along with the witness that they've got in their heart, we're going to pray them out with blessing. They have been back so many times just to visit. We've still got good relationship because it went in the way that God intended it to go. That's the way it's supposed to happen. I don't know who this was for, but... It I have always believed that the church needs to embrace a bigger vision for the Lord's kingdom purpose than just their own backyard. It's really important. As we have ministered to the hundreds, enjoyed seasons of coming in and going out, we've seen some amazing, miraculous victories and healings in people's lives, many of whom have become a strong part in our local leadership team and others being planted out into other leadership teams either in other parts of the world or other parts of Australia. I really feel that in this season, the Holy Spirit is urging me to share a father heart with the churches that we visit all around the world, just as what we would with our own children. 
I set out by asking a few challenging questions. How do you see your local church for the future? I'm talking to you now. Some feedback. How do you see your local church for the future? Come on, anybody can answer. Impacting the community. Impacting nations. Planting other churches. Salvation. See, there's a whole lot of things that we, as the church, and when I say the church, I'm including everybody. This man by himself with his leadership team can't do it all. I don't care how good he is. And from what I've seen so far, he's good. I've got one in agreement. Come on, you guys. That was your cue for saying, amen, brother. Okay. How concerned are you personally for the future longevity of the church? We have to think generationally. God is a generational God, and we listen to Paul. He's talking about four generations in 2 Timothy 2.2. Not Bishop 2.2. This is Timothy (laughs) 2.2. So we've got to be concerned about that. Are you willing to help make it succeed and prosper beyond the generation that you are currently finding yourself in? That means you have to be training now. Because some of the younger people that are here are already functioning. They already have a real area of authority. They already need to be released into those areas to see the church prosper beyond where it's at right now. You know, the younger people, they want this, they want that, they want this and they want that. And the older people said, you can't have it because we pay for it all. (laughs) And there's a lot of truth in that statement. Even some of the young people in our church are starting to realise that now. They are just starting to give. We've got this one young guy, he puts his tithe online every week, you know, and it ranges anything between $1.82 to $9.50 but he does it faithfully every week. And he's only 11. He's been taught by his dad, you tithe, God's going to open the windows of heaven for you. That's what happened to me because today an abalone license is worth $5 million. That's what we stowed into the church. And a lot of people say, you've got to be crazy. No way. I have stored more in heaven since I've sowed it all in than I ever did before. And that's not to make me look great. I'm not saying it for I'm giving it to you as information. This young lady here. Put your drink down. (laughs) Hold your hands out. God would say to you this morning, these hands are going to be healing hands. You start laying hands on people. 
You don't even have to pray any fancy prayers at all. You know how it is when somebody's really crying. They don't want to hear a lot of words. They just want the comfort of this. I love you. I care for you. And I'm standing with you. You will see people healed. You will see people raised up as you lay hands on people without saying a word. And that's biblical. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It doesn't say pray fancy prayers. A lot of people pray long prayers because they're not sure that God's going to do anything. And they think, if I just keep praying, God's going to listen and he's going to start the motor. Just lay hands on the sick. You will see. I'm 72 going on 73. I know I only look 60, but that's the way it is. God has not said to us, leave your post. I still overlook all of Australia, the MFI churches in Australasia, and we find them in New Zealand, in the islands, in all the states of, uh, of Australia, at least the eastern states. And God continues to say, I want you to serve. When I took the church back on after I had handed it over about 12, 13 years ago, I was 66 when I took it on the second time and my children said, Dad, do you really want to do this? I said, well, we feel God is saying yes. And they said, okay. And I said, you will not miss out on our time. You will get out time. I said, your mother is not going to be in the office like she used to be. She's going to be at home. She's always going to be available. And I'm only five minutes away from, David knows how close we are, like 150 yards from the church office to my home. It's very close. And I said, all Susie has to do is give me a ring if anybody's in need and I'll be there in two or three minutes. And it only took one year and the children said, Dad and Mum, it's really good what you're doing and we believe it's God as well. See, God doesn't just call a mum and a dad. He calls the family. We believe in family. I have to. I've got seven kids, 20 grandkids, two great grandkids. I have to believe in family. And it's expensive, I tell you. From time to time, you're going to have to transition in the life of the church where you're going to have to diverge yourself on some responsibility and give it to somebody else. And we often say, I don't know if I want to do that because are they going to do it as well as I'm doing it? Hey, how well was you doing it when God first called you into the ministry? I can't believe that God called me out of the fishing industry into the ministry from being underwater to standing on the pulpit and preaching. So petrified. My legs were shaking, all the blood drained out of my face. My wife would sit on the front seats praying for me, oh God, give him the ability to finish. She still does. Let him finish. (laughs) But you know something? After many, many years, you know how to do it, and that's a real danger point. You know how to do it, and, oh, God, I'm fine. I know how to preach this stuff. No, you don't. 
If we would listen to what he would say, he would say, no, you don't. You don't even know how to pray like you ought to. Oh, yes, I do. Well, Romans says you don't in chapter 8. Except the Holy Spirit helps you. We are so dependent. I am so dependent. You have no idea how much I've prayed. Lord, let me be your vessel when I go to Solid Rock Church. Let me speak the words that you want them to hear, not what I just want to say to make it entertaining or interesting. I remember Susie and me, we fasted for 30 days when we brought our last two elders in. And I was bringing my daughter to an airport which was 120 miles away from where I lived and I had just dropped her off and I was driving home, uh, I think I was on day 29 or day 30 of the fast and all of a sudden out of the back seat I hear, not now. It was so clear I stopped the car and looked to see who was in the back seat. There was nobody there. But I know that it was God speaking to me. And I came home and I said to Susie, this is what happened. She says, I think it's God. I brought it to the eldership and they said, we know it's God. We had three people that were going to come into eldership. We waited six more months. One dropped out that would have presented real problems to us. And the other two are the best we have ever had. One of those is now the senior leader of the church and the other one is the chairman of the school board. Brilliant people, both named Adrian. People say, Adrian? Which, which one? I said, the tall one. He's six foot three. His little brother is married to my youngest daughter. He's six foot seven. They breed him big over there. And they're Dutch as well. So I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. I never say that. I said, have you ever heard? You know, the younger people have got so many technical abilities that I haven't got. I look at these things and I go, what's that? How did that get in there? Delete. Delete. In the bin. And then somebody says, I tried to get hold of you and all the time I'm not, I don't seem to be getting through. Well, I said, who are you? Uh, one of the main burdens for us is to see the gospel, to see a greater measure of ongoing discipleship happening. It always weighs on our hearts. Our desire is to see more evangelism happening in a real natural way. People growing up within the family of God through caring community and loving hospitality, and it's got to be seen that it's real loving. I've got a daughter that's 50 years old and she's not yet saved because when I got saved, she was probably about 12 or 13 years of age. And they got a lot of flack, especially for my family. Because I was brought up in a Dutch Reformed church and when I got saved, they said stuff like, well, if God can save Bernie, he can save anybody. And I said, hey, hey just a minute, I wasn't that bad. You know, so after, after, after a while, I found out I really was when God started to show me things. But we were so on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, we just wanted to see everybody saved. 
And in the process, my family said, oh, Bernie and Susie, they've gone overboard. They're just totally, they've lost it. And my kids got all that negative stuff into them. They're still dealing with it. And that is 34 years later. They're still dealing with it. If you say anything and if it's not positive, shut your mouth. You're better off to bury it than to blurt it out. Pray it, don't say it is a good line that I like. Go via the throne. Every believer being released to do the work of ministry. Sir, what would be your gifting? Yeah. Every way. I'm not going to let you off the hook. What do you think your gifting is? Whether you think it's natural or spiritual, it doesn't matter because it's all spiritual because it all comes from God. It all comes from our Father in heaven that knit you together in your mother's womb, wrote it all in the book. It is spiritual. And biblically, I can prove that. What is your gifting? Interceding for people. Are you doing it? Get back to it. See, by your own words, not as much as I used to, why? We have this idea, maybe God's not hearing what I'm saying. He is. His ear is always attentive to the cry of his children. And we need to do those things. And if each and every one of us starts to do what God has placed on our heart, and so often we think, well, all I've got is hospitality. That's not spiritual. Yes, it is. It really is. Well, what about, you know, working with numbers? That's not spiritual. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, the last few verses. There's all kinds of things that we think, well, that's not important. Aholiab and Basileel, if you read that scripture in the Old Testament, and the Spirit of God came upon them to work all manner of craftsmanship. The Spirit of God came upon them. And we say natural stuff. No, it isn't. It comes from God because otherwise we start thinking, I'm really good as a psychologist and I did it my way. (laughs) It's worthless. Unless we start giving him the glory for all that he has given us, we're not storing treasures in heaven. All we're doing is getting accolades down here. It's all going to pass away. It's just stuff. That's all it is. When the church body supplies an inspiring, united atmosphere, it draws people and operates as a giant fishing net. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I believe I'm prophetically speaking to you this morning as to how you can catch a whole lot more people for the kingdom of God, for his honor and his glory. Because you say it'd be nice to have the church full. Jesus wants the church full a lot more than you want the church full. He says, I want my house to be filled. Go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And a lot of people say, what's compelling? I said, that's grabbing them by the shirt like this and say, you're coming whether you like it or not. (laughs) And if that comes from a heart full of love, guess what? They don't often say, no, I'm not coming. 
Maybe we should have tears in our eyes for the unsaved and say, I love you so much and I want you to come where I'm going. My destiny is heaven and I want you to come with me. How keen are we going to be concerning those things? I think we need to be that. Of course, we're servants of the Most High God. To know Christ and to make him known. I don't know how if I'm ever going to get through all these notes. Corporately, we are to obey the Great Commission in making disciples. Teaching what Jesus taught. Feeding and equipping new leaders for the future health of the church. What does the Bible say? And they were attitude to the church daily. Oh, come on, I have prayed that so often. God, when's the daily bit going to start happening rather than weekly and the monthly or some cases the yearly stuff? So can I ask you something? Is it in your heart to see and help your church to grow? Then you've got to start functioning in the gifting that God has placed in your life. And if you don't know what your gifting is, ask some leaders around you, what do you think my gifting is? Or start to pray and say, God, what is my gifting? Or ask your friends and say, what do you think my gift is? Quite often your friends can say, oh, that's what it is. And you go, really? Yeah, I can see that. You can? I can't. It doesn't matter. People will point it out if you start to ask the question. Start asking some questions. Do you visualise Solid Rock, a church, being a place of excellent ministry and servanthood? Do you visualise that? Do you pray into that? God, I want to see our church become this. And it's got to be your church. That's the kind of prayers we need to pray. Our church, not their church. It's our church. It's your church. To all the people that God leads there from the womb to the tomb. That means church and community life, every generation being cared for and catered for. In our case, we've also got a Christian school and there's so many good things coming out of that. Has it cost us? You betcha. It was about seven years ago we had to inject over $300,000 to make sure the thing didn't go down the drain. But it's all over now and it's, it's just booming now. It's got a, a budget of $5 million a year and growing at a very fast rate. It's amazing. I got a phone call not so long ago from a proud father. He said, Bernie, he said, I just want to share something with you. Alex today has become a brain surgeon. Isn't that awesome? I said, Alex has become a brain surgeon? That's the little kid that I said, everything that you do, do it with excellence. He said he's lived by that motto ever since you said it to him. Come on, speak affirming words into the hearts and the lives of the people. Other people may not see what you see, and it's got to be genuine. It's got to be what you really see, not just stuff that you say, oh, well, that'll make him feel better. That's, that's not the reason for it. Question three, do you visualise Solid Rock Church becoming an even greater influence than what it already is? Have a greater impact and effectiveness into your local community? Do you want to see that? Then you've got to be part of it. You've got to pray into it. I love what you're doing here, praise and worship. Everybody was singing even though they didn't have a microphone. That tells me something. They want to praise the Lord. The lady that was there with the tambourine. We used to have tambourines like you wouldn't believe when we first started. Nobody could play any instruments, but they could all bang that thing, you know. 
while I try to bang that thing and it doesn't sound any good. But when somebody good bangs the thing, it sounds excellent. It really brings something into the church. Really important question. Consider how much your church would be missed if it closed down tomorrow. And if you say, I don't think it would be missed hardly at all, then we need to make some changes. Has to happen. Has to happen. Why? Because it's his church. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that's got to be our vision. Our church is not going to diminish. Our church is going to increase. Why? Because I'm claiming the word of God and I'm doing everything that he's telling me as much as I'm able to. See, God doesn't mind a church being a small congregation. What he does object to is a church having smallness of vision. He really objects to that. Not the numbers that he objects to, but have you got a vision for that? For smallness of vision will box you in and limit the extent of what he's able to do through you. You know, the Bible says so many things. Let the weak say I'm strong. Why do you say that? Come on. You're pathetic. You're weak. Yeah, but the Bible says that I'm going to be strong. And if I keep confessing that, God's going to start working into my muscles. I might have to do a little bit, you know, pump a bit of iron and lift a bit of stuff. And the next day you feel like a truck's run over you. And you say, what on earth has happened to me? Because you're starting to function in that stuff. There's a story told of a tourist visiting a small English village. He asked an old gentleman this question. Is there anything special about the place? The old man smiled and replied, yes, you can start here and go anywhere in the world. <laughs> come on, that, that, that's the kind of stuff that we should be saying. You come into this church and your life's going to be changed. we got an awesome leadership. Amen. Come on, that needs to be our confession declaration has to be made. The time comes in the case of Ezekiel, what do you see? I see valley of drying bones. Can they live? God, you know. Well, that was a smart answer. But then he says, declare, prophesy. And God will tell us to do things and it's time to open our mouth and start to declare it and bring those things that are not as though they were because God has spoken to us and it needs to come out. People need to hear it going into their ears. Faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? They need to hear the vision of the church. We all have the same opportunity to start afresh, go outwards, extend further. Like, I had never received any Bible training. I have taught in Bible colleges now. And they say, where did you learn all that stuff? I said, the Holy Ghost. And it's it's really true. And a lot of people say, well, you didn't have any education, therefore we don't need any education. Excuse me. I said, God called me out of the fishing industry into the ministry. He's telling you to get smart. I don't know how many people I've encouraged to become doctors, to have PhDs and to have a school where excellence is taught. And they say, why are you interested in all this stuff? You didn't even finish grade eight. And I didn't. I hated school. I couldn't speak any English, so instead of being in grade seven, they put me in grade three. 
From that day on, I wanted out. Get me out of here. And I got out. My dad had a heart attack and I said to my mother, Mum, if you sign this, I can go to work. She had no idea what she was signing, but she signed it. She's Dutch too, see? We can all, without exception, invite and bring people to know Jesus by living out of his love. If you start to do it legalistically, you'll dry up and you'll cause other people to dry up. It's got to come out of a love relationship that you have with Jesus and that people say, when I'm in their presence, I just feel love being poured all over me. They like that kind of company. They want to be in that company. Isn't that what Jesus did in Acts 10, verse 38? He went about doing good. That's the first part of the scripture. God had anointed him and he went about doing good. It's later on that he, you know, casting out demons. But, hey, wouldn't it be good if we just did the first part? If we all started doing good? That's a good start. The demons will come, I'll guarantee you. They will. They will. See, because it was his lifestyle. And until it becomes our lifestyle, we'll talk about it, but we won't be doing it. The master said to his servant, go out into the highways and byways, compel them to come in, that my house may be full or filled. Jesus believes in filling his house. Jesus has a vision for a full house here. If you haven't, change your vision. Get in line with the vision that Jesus has and and start confessing it, start praying it. Jesus wants a full house. And start telling it to people, this house is going to be filled. How do you know? Jesus wants it filled. And he's the greatest man, God, that ever lived. You know there's a human being in heaven now? Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought of that? The man Christ Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding for you right now. That blows my mind. He's praying for me? Yeah, he's praying for you too. When people start making excuses about why why they can't come, just say, I'll pick you up. Get the excuses out of their area. Just get it out. Arrange breakfast before church or lunch afterwards or even just a snack or a cup of coffee or whatever. You and I can really do something very special to befriend people and feed them a very diet of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know the old saying, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink, but you can put a salt tablet under his tongue and he'll get thirsty. (laughs) And we do exactly the same with our testimony. Your testimony is a lot more important than what you think. And you're hearing my testimony, you say, wow, isn't that a testimony? You've got a testimony that will touch other people that I can't touch. Do you realize that? And they overcame him, who? The devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their own lives even unto death. Oh, why do you have to put that last piece in? But hey, that's going to be better, a lot better. I tell people and they ask me if if I'm sick. I said, no, I'm fine. Well, why are you talking about heaven? I said, because I'm looking forward to going there. I really am. 
and I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my grandkids, but that's going to be a better place. I'm going to be able to sing for starters. I try now, make a lot of noise. I'm going to be able to play musical instruments. I'm going to be able to walk through walls and say, g'day. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. Like, it's a ghost. No, no, don't be scared, it's me. And I've got that cheeky bit in me that would just love to do that. Just, <laughs> g'day. Oh, that would be so much fun. Uh, see, all of us can testify what God has done for you. You start talking theology, you will have an argument on your hand, but you give him your testimony as to what God has done in your life and how he's put your marriage back together. My marriage was falling apart. Susie would say, I'm going to pack my bags. And I said, don't bother, I've packed mine already. We did that all the time. Vi knows my wife. She, she knows how nice she is. She wasn't always that nice. You know why? Because I wasn't nice. I was the problem. I would pray, God, change her. And when I opened my ears, he said, you change, she will. Oh, that really bucked me for a while. <laughs> but you know that God wants to do more than you can even ask or think or even imagine. That's according to scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.9. And so often we have this idea, will he really do it for me? I know he will do it for the pastor, but will he do it for me? Yes. It might cost you something. With the same measure that you give, it will be measured back unto you. So if you're not getting much in your hand from, from life, you might want to look at your hand as to what you're giving to other people and what you're giving to God. With the same measure that you give, it will be measured back unto you. I know the pastor might have trouble saying that here. I have no trouble at all because I'm leaving again after. <laughs> so it's easy for me to say that. But it's Bible. Yeah. It's Bible and it works. Amen. When we handed over everything that we had, we got to the point where the elder said, how much have you got left? And I said, $30,000. And they said, do not spend another cent. You need to build a house. I was willing to sow it all into the kingdom and so was my wife. And it was, the, it was their maturity that said don't spend anymore and my brother actually built a six-bedroom home for $40,000. That's amazing. The big one that you stayed in, first of all, the one Pastor Adrian's got now, built like a tank. It'll never blow down. It's blowed 120 kilometres an hour up there when the roof was on and the walls were still out. And I thought the roof was just going to take off. Nothing moved. My brother builds for eternity. <laughs> listen, listen. He turned 77 years old in January this year. In the last two years, he's done five overseas trips to help rebuild villages, schools and churches. He said, because while I've got breath and I can swing a hammer, I can do all this stuff because that's the gift God has given me. Some people, I'm getting too old. You don't think that way, do you? Nels? No. Good, good thing because I would have talked to you. <laughs> God is wanting to do so much. 
See, he transforms us. He enlarges our heart and our mind to lay out steps to seeing God's kingdom vision fulfilled, first in your own life, then your family, then your church. Vision entails both transformation as well as reformation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? By nature, vision is a thing of the future, not the present. Vision is not where you are now, but where you want to be. That's vision. Leaders who understand this recognise that God is constantly at work in transforming, strengthening, changing his church. We are to work with Jesus in that. He gives us the privilege of working with him in that. Jesus, by his spirit, is moving his church towards the newness of God's amazing future ahead. I am, I am looking so forward to the churches that I'm going to visit all over the place to see what God is doing. Strategic vision sees a church effectively reaching and seeing lives transformed to be like Jesus. You know, the first time he did that, he said, I see that hand. And then things start to happen in our life and we say, what on earth is happening to me? Well, you put up your hand and I'm going to make you like my son. Really be honest. Who wants to be great here? Come on, don't be shy now. Okay, turn with me to Psalm 105. These are some of the things that you might find yourself going through. Joseph became the second most important man in Egypt. He had great visions and dreams. He told it to his brothers and they sold him into slavery. Then he finished up in, in, a, in a prison. And if we read the Old Testament account in Genesis, we don't find what it was like for him in prison. Listen to this. Psalm 105 verse 17. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions. So often we want the greatness, but we don't want to go through the proving period that God wants to do in our lives. It says God tested him. And, you know, human elements were used by that, but it was God that was behind it all. Because if you're going to be so important in God's kingdom purposes, you have to go through where a whole lot of stuff just gets taken off your life. So God puts brother or sister sandpaper alongside of you and they rub you up the wrong way and you say, what is wrong with that person? And God said, there's actually something wrong with you. That's a bit scary. But in the process, we start to care more. We start to love more. We start to have compassion for other people that we didn't have compassion for before. We're being made like his son. And we can say this is what the church, you know, looks like now, but how should it look in the future? Strategic vision always answers the basic big questions. What do we do? 
from for whom do we do it? That is a huge one. Especially for pastors that, are, that feel, well, I've really never achieved anything in life and I want to do this one well. They feel insecure, in other words. We're supposed to build his kingdom, not ours. How do we excel? Well, that church is using all these programs and they're excelling. That's called emulation. We need to hear from God what God is saying to you. How should I excel in the gifting that God has gifted me with? Stop looking at other people. For a vision to inspire and motivate, it must be like Jesus and that's attractive. If we're not attractive, why aren't we? Maybe we don't love the city like we should. Maybe we don't love the people like we should. Maybe we're not willing to lay down our lives like we should. We've had our children say to us, Dad, you've done everything. You don't have to do anymore. I said, oh, yes, I do. Until Jesus says it's all over, it's not over. We are on a journey with Christ at the helm. We are in pursuit, not a recreated past, but a new and exciting future. Have you ever heard people say, oh, the good old days? God's got better days. Don't look back to the good old days. God's got better days for you. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 16, 9. There's a wide open door for a great work here, although there are many adversaries that oppose us. That's just to make you strong. That's all that's for. Let us move on past the urgent needs and crisis of the day or year and see clearly God's vision for your church, for your municipality, for your state of BC, your own ethnic community and the nations of the world as well as the nation of Canada. That has to be in our heart. Otherwise, it's smallness of vision and it needs to be big. Let us focus and learn what it means to define biblical vision. Together open our eyes and hearts to build with Jesus today a multi-generational kingdom culture of people committed to the kingdom vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a visionary church as a whole for the sake of the future. It has to happen. God is shaping you and his church for the future. Can I say that again? Right now, God is shaping you and your church for the future. It's not just for the here and now. He's doing something futuristically in you and in the young people, and that needs to come together in a way that we say together, yes, Lord. You know, we used to sing that song ages and ages ago. You know, I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, 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 I say yes, Lord, I say yes, Lord, I say yes, yes, yes. we got to do a lot more than saying but. Our senior pastor preached the word, how big is your butt? <laughs> and he had an elephant with his backside sitting on the thing. Because we're always saying, I would do that, but... Is that right? Well, how big is our but? How big is our reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ? 
where he says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We've got to get back to that saying, instead of saying but. Let us fully embrace God's vision being led by his Holy Spirit. Can we all stand? Gee, this preacher's long-winded. Can we just all hold our hands up and close our eyes? Empty hands received from God, you know, filled hands with stuff. Oh, Lord, I don't know if I want to do that because if you put something in my hands, I'm going to have to use it because that's what he said to Moses. What have you got in your hand? He's asking all of us that today too. What's in your hand? Can you close your eyes and repeat after me? Lord Jesus, help us to be like you. Make us bold in sharing our testimony so that we will win people to Christ in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for all the people that are standing with their hands raised. Father, I pray that you will impart, Lord, gifts of your spirit into their lives even this day as they are holding out their hands to you Father I pray that from this day forward they will know a divine exchange happen beyond their salvation you gave them something that they never had before Father for those Lord that are timid Lord I pray for boldness in the mighty name of Jesus Lord for those that are weak Father I make the proclamation that they will be strong in the name of Jesus Lord for those that say I can't really start a conversation Father I pray let them open their mouth and you begin to fill it Lord in all those ways bring change into the life of this church Father, let this church start to be known as a church that doesn't only believe and have faith, but makes declaration as to what Jesus Christ is going to do like the prophet Ezekiel did to those dry bones. And Lord, he saw things happening that he was hoping for, but he had not seen. Lord, all the bones coming together, sinews and flesh being put on the bones, and there stood up an exceedingly great army. And I prophesy that over this church that an exceedingly great army is going to stand up and they will begin to declare the great works of God as to what God wants to do in Abbotsford, what God wants to do in BC, what God wants to do in other nation, uh, other areas of uh, uh, Canada as well as the world. Father, let their vision be big. And Lord, let their faith be strong to believe what you are showing them. Father, for I ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have you got a couple of minutes? Please sit down.